Hello and welcome to episode 16 of the Community Trail Running Podcast. I'm your host, Adam Lee, and thank you for joining me once again. So many different podcasts out there, and I so appreciate the fact you spend a little bit of time with me. Not a whole lot of preamble today as we're talking aid stations with fellow Substack author Sarah Lavender Smith. It's a great conversation. Just know this, the podcast is coming the next two Mondays as well, but today is about Sarah. Today's guest is Sarah Lavender Smith. Sarah is a longtime trail running coach. She has run countless ultras herself, and she's a writer from Colorado. I found about, out about what Sarah was doing, as she's also on Substack, her publication there called Colorado Mountain Running and Living, and she's also the author of The Trail Runner's Companion, a step-by-step guide to trail running and racing, from 5Ks to ultras. She runs, she writes, she's gracious with her time. Thank you for being here today, Sarah. Hey, it's great to be here. Thanks for having me on. I'm excited. I reached out to you recently after you posted on your Substack. The the post was called Anatomy of an Aid Station. Sarah talked about aid stations dating back to 1978. She also talked about volunteering at mile 58 of the 2022 Hard Rock 100. I'm excited to dive in a little bit further. You mentioned in the post it was one of the most um, elaborate and effective aid stations you've ever been at. Can you just sort of run us through the through your time there and what made it so effective? Sure, I'm happy to. So, you know, aid stations differ depending on the type of ultra it is. If, if you're, if it's just a 50k, it's mainly just going to be a folding table with um, calorie, you know, food options and hydration. But when you get into hundred mile ultras, especially extreme mountainous ones like the Hard Rock 100, which have an extra long time limit because of the difficulty, um, you know, Hard Rock's time limit is 48 hours. So those aid stations are much more deluxe. And so I had been involved with Hard Rock in the past as a pacer and crew person and volunteer in other capacities, but I really wanted to help at this midway aid station. What made it special is one, it was, it was a huge operation. I mean, there's so many tents, so it was very spacious and it could accommodate a lot of runners and a lot of volunteers. Mm. Um, There was a dedicated kitchen. So one tent was nothing but food and a whole kitchen set up for hot cooked food and dishwashing. Then there was a whole medical area. So they had cots and medical staff. But I think the thing that made it really special, and I don't know any other um, hundred miler that does this other than Western states is they deliberately recruit enough volunteers to do what they call concierge service. So they want to have a one-on-one relationship between the volunteer and the runner who comes in. So as runners were coming in, we took turns. Like I would, I would pinpoint one runner and latch onto him or her and say, Hey, I'm your helper. Let me know what you need. And I would stick with that person and, and do everything I could, um, to help that person, whether it was helping them get their shoes off and change their socks and deal with their gross feet or getting them food or wrapping, you know, we had, we had brought a lot of, um, used towels and blankets. So putting, a towel or blanket over their shoulders to make sure they didn't catch a chill. So those were just some of the things that made it special. And plus the fact, I mean, it was very remote and it was at high altitude over 11,000 feet. So it was, it was in the mountains. So we had to, 
we had to do a lot to, you know, set up gas generators and other things just to to power it up and have it be like a little tent city. I feel like you've already kind of uh, established what the most challenging parts of that could have been. I have to say it must be pretty wild and awesome for the runners to come in and get that one-on-one -on -one experience with someone. And I imagine you're not the only experienced ultra runner under that tent helping out. So it'd be cool to have someone like yourself as a one-on-one -on -one help. Well, thank you. Yeah. I mean, I know a lot of the runners and I know what it's like to be in their shoes because although I have not done hard rock, I've done several hundred milers, including mountainous hundreds that are hard rock qualifiers. So I know what it's like to, you know, I saw top runners come in um, who just looked like zombies who are really struggling and, you know, to, to anticipate what they need and to, you know, it brings out the, I'm, I'm a mother of two kids. And so I get very maternal. So I, if I, to get into mom mode, you know, so I like taking care of people. That's fantastic. It sounds like you needed a little bit of that the next weekend when you were running your own race there, the High Lonesome 100. Uh, I loved in, I'm going to jump between the two pieces a little bit, but I loved in the anatomy of an aid station, how you talked about helping it hone your own aid station strategy and seeing what people were packing, and having such a great plan. And then you went into the next weekend. Tell us about how it affected your run. <laughs> So, oh boy, you know, I'm still struggling to finish my race report. I wrote the first part of it, but it, I did do the Highland some hundred the weekend after hard rock. And it's a very, very challenging hundred miler. Um, and I had done it the year prior. So I had goals to do better and by reducing my time by at least an hour. And I really going into this year's race, I didn't want to repeat the past year's mistakes, which is the past year I had really slowed down and struggled in the second half. And so I tried to be strategic, but it, it almost none of my strategy worked. I still <laughs> fell apart in the second half and I actually struggled more this year. And basically the two big things were sleepiness and nausea. And so I've never had such terrible nausea of just vomit. I've never, I've never even, you know, in all my years of ultra running, I, I took up ultras in the early 2000s after a decade of road running. So I've done a fun, I mean, I've done like a hundred ultras. I've never puked. Like it loomed as it's like losing your virginity. It's like puking in an ultra. It's this thing everyone does at some point. I finally like, I did it. I like the full on technicolor uncontrollable yawn just horrible, horrible throw up, throw up being. Yeah. I struggled at aid stations and I was on the receiving end of care last weekend for sure. Um, but you know, looking back at the hard rock aid station experience on the one hand, it helped me because I really, when I was going through the struggles of my hundred, I remembered the experienced runners who were having a tough day and night at hard rock and how they rallied. And so I drew inspiration from them. On the other hand, I really, in hindsight, think that pulling an all-nighter to volunteer at that aid station a week prior was not good for my taper week. I mean, I get sleepy anyway because you know I'm older. I'm 53. I take naps. Like if I'm if I'm driving three hours, I'll pull over and take a 10-minute nap. It's like I'm a napper, <laughs> and I need my sleep. And so I pulled this all-nighter at Hard Rock, 
And I don't think I ever caught up on sleep the following week. So that was bad. The hard rock aid station experience the week prior was a mixed blessing. Yeah, absolutely. And you can kind of be your own worst nightmare out there sometimes. It doesn't matter how many times you've done it before, I guess. We've kind of talked about you now running through aid stations as well as volunteering at them. I'm wondering if there are any stories that come to mind for you on either side just over the years, just a, a standout aid station experience. Oh my God. So the most memorable was May of 2010. And we pulled the plug on our normal lives and traveled around the world for a year. So we lived nomadically. We, we like spent our savings, rented out our house, taught the kids the equivalent of sixth and third grade on the road <laughs> and had this amazing year travel, but that's another story. But the point is, is in May of 2010 for my birthday, I found myself in Northern Italy. So we find this low profile locals trail race outside of Tuscany and I enter and I'm the only American. I'm the only one who's, I don't find anyone else who speaks English. I, <laughs> I buddy up, I buddy up with this one gentleman who speaks Spanish. So I, I could use my Spanish to speak to him. He, his two words of English were Obama and go pee pee. So that's <laughs> <laughs> only English in you. But anyway, so I'm running through this amazing forest and we get to these elaborate aid stations. I mean, it's everything you would imagine about Italy cuisine. And so my story is at mile 16, we get to this little hut and there are these wonderful, like straight out of central casting Italian characters. And they're asking me, penne or pomodoro, penne or pomodoro. I'm like, what? And the guy in Spanish explains, they're asking what kind of topping I want on my pasta. I'm like, my pasta. And then they like shut, they're like, where's your, you know, they, they were translating in Spanish, where's your cup? And so I get, you know, I, they produce a cup and they pour me red wine. So I have red wine and they make me sit and wait for my pasta. I'm like, wait a minute. And so I pull out of um, my pocket, a little foil of goo. And I say in Spanish, say in America, this is what we use um, for food. And they just laughed and laughed like they, it was space food. They're like, why not stop and have pasta and wine at mile 16? And like then five miles later, there was pork bruschetta and, and, um, and like hard boiled eggs. And it was insane. So it was definitely a net calorie gain but it was the most memorable trail 50 K I've ever done. And the aid stations were an Italian dream. <laughs> That's incredible. You'll never, ever forget that. Yeah. I don't think you'll ever find that again either. <laughs> it wasn't much of a race. I realized in hindsight, like some people were racing it, but it was more like a social, it was a celebration of running and eating. Like you run to eat and eat to run. It sounds like an amazing day. <laughs> Besides uh, red wine and pasta and pork, uh, do you have any other favorite aid station staples? <laughs> Um, you know, the thing about aid stations is you want to make use of aid stations with what you can't carry in your hydration pack. So when I go to aid stations, I try to eat the kinds of food that I couldn't carry in my pocket. And so those tend to be watermelon, avocado, and soup. You know, the kinds of things that, uh, not like a bar or a gel or mm -hmm. a baggie of potato chips. So what I eat at aid stations depends on the climate, the distance and the terrain. So, you know, if, if it's a hot day and I'm having stomach problems, nothing beats watermelon. If it's a cold night, 
and I need real food. Um, salty soup with some noodles in it is generally the best thing. So I keep it pretty simple. I, I love the the variants and, and the same thing, right? You might as well have what you can't carry. Um, you definitely get into this and everyone should get over to the article and read it and check it out themselves. I, I wonder with all the years, I'm sure this probably changes as you go along, but if you were to just talk to someone on the street and they said, give me one piece of aid station advice, what would it be? Um, oh, well, let me preface it by saying, I think you can learn a lot about someone's character by how they act at an aid station. And the people who tend to end up not doing well at ultras because they're so wound up, they're either the control freaks or the prima donnas. They want everything to be just so, or they're very demanding. And so my advice for aid stations is be, <laughs> be nice and be businesslike. So you wanna be nice, even if you're internally feeling terrible and you're annoyed, if you act nice to the people around you, it, it reflects back on you and it actually makes you feel better. Um, and then the thing about biz being business-like is it's really easy to get kind of overhyped or overexcited by the enthusiasm of the aid station crowds. And you really have to just kind of dial down your emotions and be like, you know, be business-like in terms of having a task to do or a checklist of things you have to make sure you get done and make sure you don't forget at the aid station. So you kind of, you really got to focus and um, get in and get out of there, but be nice along the way. I think a great role model is Courtney DeWalter. If you see her at aid stations and these big international ultras, She's just really, really chill, really kind to the people around her. She seems unruffled. It's not like she's acting like a celebrity or someone special. And I, th I think that's really important. Sarah, you've got some great stories. I love following your newsletter. Newsletter. Tell people where they can follow you out there in the internet world. Oh, well, thank you. I appreciate it. So, well, my newsletter URL is called sarahrunning.substack.com. And my Instagram handle is at Sarah running. And that's my Twitter handle too, but I don't use Twitter much. I'm mostly on Instagram. So yeah, I'd love to connect. And thank you so much for having me on your show. Absolutely. Huge thank you to Sarah Lavender Smith. Huge thank you to all of you for listening. Shout out to race volunteers everywhere. And until next time, I'm Adam Lee, and this is Community Trail Running.